Well, amen. Thank you, guys. You brought a Bible with you. Say yes. And uh, let me invite you to open it with me to James chapter 1 this morning. James chapter 1. If you're a guest of ours, welcome. We are actually doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of James. And very excited as we've got a series kicked off last Sunday entitled 24 Carat Faith. So James is writing to those Jewish believers who have been dispersed uh, through persecution. They've been kicked out of their homes. Many have lost jobs. And many have even lost uh, family members and loved ones as a result of this great persecution. So James now is writing to them to encourage them in their faith and to also let them see that their faith is indeed genuine and not a false faith or some kind of fool's gold faith. And so we learned last week, if you have 24 karat faith, the real deal, whenever you face a trial, you'll actually tighten your grip on Jesus. And you also will turn your ear to Jesus and call out for wisdom. Well, this morning, what we find is that James is going to move from trials to temptations. Now, it's pretty awesome here because trials are given to us by God to test our character and our faith. They are actually there to strengthen us and mature us in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have temptations that also show up even in the midst of trials, and they are there to actually defame us or to trip us up or to cause us to not mature in our walks with the Lord Jesus. And so James this morning really does nail down how you and I as followers of Jesus should see temptation in our life. So with that in mind, James chapter 1 beginning in verse 12, you got it there, say yes. And uh, go ahead and let's uh, stand together in honor of God's word. Uh, The Bible says, blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Now, by the way, that just simply means to remain faithful in the midst of difficulty. He says, for once he has been approved, that is, once his faith is seen as legit, uh, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, this is pretty awesome. The Bible teaches that one day you and I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. As we remain faithful to Christ, the Bible teaches that there will be a special crown given to us. Now, in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle often uses uh, the Greco-Roman Olympics to describe crowns that individuals get for their faithful service. But this is not a Greco-Olympic analogy. This actually is an analogy of an individual receiving a royal throne or a royal crown. And what's awesome is that Peter actually says that about all of us, right? We as followers of Jesus, we are a royal priesthood chosen by God. And there's a promise that one day the Lord Jesus will actually place a crown upon our heads. And what what an awesome picture that is. Now, verse 13, he's rolling into temptation here. Let no one say whenever he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. By the way, that's the gospel. So that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Let's bow together. Father, uh, we thank you for your divine word. And just as we have already sung, we need you now. We need you to speak to our hearts, especially those of us who have a relationship with you. God, all of us have faced temptation this past week. And God, we need to understand better how to overcome this and 
how not to fall into sin. So give us grace as we study the scripture. And then, Lord, at the same time, for those who are outside of the faith, those who do not know you personally yet, I pray that you would draw them to salvation this morning by your divine grace. And we'll give you glory for that. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So you can be seated. Well, uh, every summer, whenever we have the opportunity to go on vacation, uh, as soon as we get to our location, one of the first things I do is break out my telephone, which is one of those Google phones, and I ask Google, Google, uh, where is the nearest Krispy Kreme? Can I get a witness on that? Because we want Krispy Kreme donuts for vacation. And uh, you, you know what it is whenever you drive past one of those Krispy Kremes and they got the hot light on. Have you seen that before? Uh, immediately, even thinking about it, like I'm spitting right now all over myself. And, uh, but when I see that, like it is almost impossible for me not to pull over. I mean, every, it, it doesn't matter where I'm going. I'm driving to Krispy Kreme. I'm going to waste those donuts. Are you all with me? Uh, that is, can I get a witness? Some of you all are excited about those donuts. When I thought about that hot light sign, uh, it reminded me that really that's how temptation is often in my life. That there is a hot light that is basically screaming and uh, crying out for me to come over. And there's this wild uh, lust that comes alive in my life. And it causes me or makes me or gives me this great push to grab hold of sin. And all of us face that as followers of Jesus because all of us still have a sin nature. And so this morning what we see is James actually writing to these believers. And he wants to talk to them about temptation because some of them have got some uh, warped views about temptation and sin. And so there's three truths that we see about that, and hopefully they'll be a source of help to you as well. And then by the end of the sermon, hopefully very practically, we'll see some ways that we can overcome temptation in our life. So the very first thing that we want to note about temptation this morning is that God is not trying to trap us. God's not trying to trap us. I'll kind of put it out there just straight to you. So let me say it to you. God's not trying to trap you. Now, I want you to look with me at verse 13. The Bible says, um, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Now, this is pretty wild. When he says, let no one say, it's actually a uh, word of command. All right, it's an imperative here. Uh, it literally means stop saying. So what James is doing is he is uh, making the remarks to these believers. And here's what he's getting at. He's, he's going, stop saying that God is the one who's making you sin. Stop blaming God for your sin nature. Stop blaming God for temptation. And this is interesting, right? People were blaming the Lord because the idea uh, was pretty simple. They were saying, well, we're in this trial. I'm facing this great temptation to disobey God. God's sovereign over all things. And because he knows me and he knows I can't overcome this trial or overcome this temptation. Whenever I sin, uh, really it's his fault. Because he, he shouldn't have put me here. He should not have tempted me. And so James is like, stop saying that. Uh, God's not the one tempting you. Now, this is uh, very common. has happened uh, throughout the Old Testament, even all the way to our lives today. But Adam and Eve, right, in the Garden of Eden... Uh, God gave them a command. He's like, you can, you can, you know, eat from all these truths, but this one, stay away from this one. And so what do they do? They go to the one they weren't supposed to. They eat from that. Then God comes, the Bible says, and he's like, Adam, where are you? And then Adam shows up, and he's like, you know, you've ate from the tree, yeah? And then Adam's like, um, Lord, just a second here. I just need to explain myself, okay? Yes, I ate from that tree, 
but, but it was this woman uh, that you gave me. You know, I didn't even ask for her. But you gave me this woman. She gave me the fruit, and that's why I ate. All right, so now the attention goes to her, and she's like, um, wait a minute, Lord. Look, the devil tempted, deceived me. Here you have two blames for sin. Adam really was blaming God. You gave me this woman, that's why I ate it. She was blaming the devil, saying he gave me the fruit, that's why I ate it. I was deceived. What they're doing in this is actually blaming someone else so that the responsibility doesn't lie with them. And that's what people do today, right? Even those who are not followers of Jesus blame God for all kinds of stuff. There are individuals today with sinful patterns and lifestyles, and they say, well, God created me this way. That's why I live this way. That's a blaming of the Lord. They're trying to make the Lord responsible for their sin so that their hands are clean of it. And then people are just like Adam in the Old Testament. They're like, Lord, uh, you gave me these parents, and they have that leaning. That's why I have that leaning. That's why I sin. So we're blaming God for our upbringing. We blame God. God, you gave me this job. You know what this boss was going to be like. You knew I couldn't handle it. That's why I rebel. That's why I say what I say. So what do we do? We're blaming the Lord. All right, so if you're in that boat this morning, let me just kind of take a page out of James' writing here and say to you uh, lovingly, stop doing that. Stop blaming the Lord uh, for your sin. Matter of fact, notice the second half of verse 13. He says, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So for a second, I want you to think about God. God is absolutely pure and holy. There is no evil within him. Evil does not exist and cannot exist within the Lord. Uh, He has no propensity to sin. He has no craving or instinctive desire uh, to commit that which is contrary to perfection. God has no streak of rebellion in him. Uh, One commentator says it like this, evil has never had any appeal for God. It is repugnant to him and it is uh, abhorrent to him. He cannot be tempted by evil. Now, because evil is foreign to his divine nature, we also note that he doesn't tempt anyone to commit evil. Uh, God does not invite you to act in such a way that's contrary to his divine nature and character. Now, listen closely. God will send trials and tests into your life but they are there to actually strengthen your faith so that you grow in maturity in your walk with Christ and that your faith might shine brighter for others to see but temptation doesn't come from God don't blame it on him temptation comes to actually cause you to fall so that you uh, cease growing in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ so we've got to note those things uh, this morning as we consider temptation. Number one, God's not trying to trap you. Now, some of you should just be relieved this morning. All right, God's not out to get you. Can I get a witness on that? And that is a that'll free you up if you just kind of let that sink down into your heart. But here goes the second truth about temptation. Although God is not trying to trap us, uh, we jump into our own traps. Right, we jump into our own traps. Uh, I was actually ran into somebody yesterday that Krista and I were visiting, and 
they asked me what I was preaching on tomorrow. I said, well, I'm preaching on, one, how God doesn't tempt you to commit sin. And his response real quick was, oh, yeah, the devil does. Well, it, no, according to this text, uh, the problem isn't even the devil. The problem uh, is us. The problem is you. The problem is me. my greatest uh, challenge in this life is not the devil or demons who have fallen from grace. My greatest challenge is me. All right? That's my greatest challenge. Notice the text, verse 14. Uh, each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Now, I want you to know this, first of all, uh, who's not mentioned in this verse. Uh, the devil's not mentioned. Uh, no demon, for that matter, is mentioned. Now, I want you to, to, to hear what I'm saying now, because this is pretty wild. But, uh, the devil, uh, the Bible says, is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the devil does use this world system to attract and entice our own desires within. So the devil is at work, but really our massive problem is us. It's our own flesh. It's our old nature. Before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, that old way of thinking and living, the old man. And here, James is saying each one is tempted. It means to be lured away. So, so who uh, is often lured away? Who is tempted to step away? Everybody does. Everybody is. And so as a result, uh, it's pretty interesting here as he mentions this reality about temptation. Now, uh, in your mind's eye for a second, can you, can you pull out a legal sheet of paper? Make it yellow. Y'all got it? Yes? So you got a yellow sheet of paper and draw a line right down the center of that sheet of paper, right down the middle. And on the left-hand side, I want you to write at the top of that, uh, sin. And on the right side, I want you to write Holy Spirit. All right, so now I want you to see what happens, and this is awesome. I'm learning this in Romans, but sin actually takes advantage of the law of God and entices you to do evil. Uh, Paul personifies sin quite often. So think about sin on the left side of that sheet like it's a person, all right? So sin looks at the law of God, sees what's right and what's wrong, and then sin uh, tries to come and tell you to do that which is evil. Uh, there's a sin nature in all. We are broken. Uh, we are saved by God's grace from the penalty of sin through Jesus. And we are being saved from the power of sin. But you and I are still in a broken state. And we still have this innate desire to commit evil. So sin takes advantage of the law and encourages us to do evil. Now, y'all still got your yellow sheet out? That was a question. Yeah, y'all still got your yellow sheet out? All right, good deal. Wake him up. Tell him to pull his yellow sheet out. At the top of the right-hand side, you got Holy Spirit. Now, sin takes advantage of the law. The Holy Spirit takes advantage of grace. And the Holy Spirit within the believer takes advantage of God's grace and encourages and empowers you to overcome sin, to obey to live a holy life. Listen, you can't live a holy life. I can't either. We must have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so what the Bible is teaching me and you is that there is this internal struggle for the believer where sin's trying to tell you what to do and the Holy Spirit is also encouraging you to obey. Now, verse 14 again. Each one is tempted when he is carried away 
and enticed by his own lust. Now, carried away and enticed. Uh, these are terms in the Greek language used to describe the idea of fishing as well as hunting. Uh, they were rednecks back then. Are y'all listening? And uh, James was laying it so they could all pick it up. Uh, any fishermen or uh, any rednecks in the house? Can I get a witness on that? Go ahead. Don't be ashamed. There's more than that, I know. But he says here they're carried away. It means to be lured out or drawn out or attracted. And then enticed, it means to be baited or to be trapped. And then here it says, back his own lust. And the word for lust doesn't necessarily speak of sexual lust, but any craving which a person has is considered a desire or a lust. Now, it's interesting. When I was doing a word study, I found that lust at its root has the idea of coveting, uh, this longing, uh, this wish for what another person has. So this could be a lust for significance, a lust for money, a lust for uh, another partner that is a husband or a wife, the lust for popularity, the lust for possessions. Now in our English language, lust is always seen as a negative deal, but really it's a neutral word. All right, There are lust and cravings that God gave us that we need. Uh, we have this craving to eat. We have this craving for something to drink. Uh, without that, we'd starve to death and be dehydrated. And then we also know that uh, God placed a natural desire uh, for sex within uh, humanity so that the human race would continue. So that's a natural desire. However, when we seek to fulfill that desire outside the confines of God's ordained means of marriage... Uh, we are committing an act that snubs the holiness of God and pictures the Lord more like a purring kitten uh, than the line of Judah. And there are individuals, dare I say, possibly even up in here today, who are doing just that. You are stepping over the lines of that which God desires and created because you are seeking to fulfill some inner lust and desire outside the confines of God's will and you're being carried away uh, that is sin and uh, we have according to scripture this continual uh, fight against this lust or this craving like an animal or fish attracted by bait uh, oftentimes we leave the place of safety to fulfill our desires and find ourselves trapped and um, you see verse 15 there he says then when lust is conceived gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So now, uh, my man James is using a different analogy here. He says, whenever lust has conceived, uh, it gives birth. Now, he's using this analogy of having a baby now. Listen, you don't have to go far in our church that know people are having babies around here. Uh, young married people, there's something in the water. Are y'all listening? If you don't want a baby, don't drink from that water fountain out there. All right? It will mess you up. Uh, matter of fact, we were at the hospital last night. Brandon uh, Roney, our student pastor, had, had his baby. They gave birth. He didn't give birth. His wife gave birth to the baby uh, this past weekend. But babies are everywhere. Well, what James is doing is he is giving this analogy that whenever this, uh, and I'll just say it like this, this monster within you, this monster within me comes up and has this desire to grab hold of something that is ungodly, whenever we grab hold of it, we give birth to a child, and we'll just name that child this morning, sin. So sin now 
becomes our child. Now, what's crazy is this idea, uh, this isn't some nine-month pregnancy, all right? This is an immediate, you got a baby. And that baby is sin. You know, I thought about that this morning. You know, how many car seats would we need here at Concord if we all drove having needed to strap our sin in and come to church? Now, how, you know, you, you can come to church with your sin, with your baby, all right? And th- this is, you, you think about a, a couple. They give birth to a child, and they go to their house. So what do they do with the kid? Well, they want to care for the kid, so they're feeding the kid. You know, the kid screams. They're running to take care of business. They're, they're changing the kid. They're feeding the kid. They're changing the kid. They're feeding the kid. They want that kid to grow. And some of us do that with our sin. So we have this sin in our life, and we're like, Lord, I, I got 99% going your way, but this 1%, this, this little child right here, I'm going to hang out with this because this, this helps me. I, I like this. So we hold on to this baby. We feed this baby. Uh, we, we, incur- we, we coddle the baby. You're all right in church as long as the preacher don't talk about your baby. Y'all, y'all out there? That was an awesome sermon. I didn't like it. Why? Talked about my kid. Y'all out there? Now, you know, uh, you've been to Walmart or Dollar Store or something. You've seen a, uh, a child, you know, barking orders at the parents, and the parents are, like, doing whatever the child says. Y'all seen this before? Uh, yeah, it's easy now. I've, I've seen it too, right? You know, what? when you see that, here's what your response is. I know who's the boss in that family. Right? That's what we say. We, I, know who to, I know who rules the roost there. Well, the idea here is that if you're not careful, sin will literally start telling you what to do. That's why Paul the Apostle says in the book of Romans, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, whereby you obey its lust and its evil desires. So sin wants to tell your body what to do. And all children grow up. You know, we've got four. Uh, the oldest is 11, Garrison. He... He uh, is growing. He eats more food than I do now. I don't, I don't think I'm joking there. I really think he does. And, uh, he continues to get taller. You know, you get in the van, his legs are everywhere. All right, so he's just growing, taking up more space. I mean, I love him and all, but good night. <laughs> well, I was just kidding there. I do love him. I wasn't kidding about that. But you think about sin, you bring your sin, you hang out with your sin, you feed your sin, you coddle your sin, your sin starts telling you what to do. And then before long, your sin starts taking up space in your life. You begin to bow your body to its desires. It's telling you what to do. Some of you, you're in that today. All right? Some of you... Your, your, your eyes are telling you what to do, some of you men. You go home and immediately your eyes are like, where's the internet? Got to get on that and check some stuff out. And some of you ladies, your, your, your heart, you think it's your heart. You're like, I've got this desire to have this relationship and my husband's just not meeting all my needs. And so you get on maybe Facebook and try to find somebody from your past where y'all used to be good friends. And he's just a friend. I, I mean, it's not a big deal. He's just, no, it's a big deal. You're you're seeking satisfaction outside the confines of what God has designed. And whenever you do this, uh, he even says that this this sin, when it is accomplished, that means when it is mature, it produces death. And you think for a moment how many families have been absolutely experiencing the death of relationships 
because somebody's lust within them took control. And they gave birth to sin, and sin started telling them what to do, and they listened more to their sin than they did God, and listened more to sin than they did the Bible or Christian people trying to help them. And now, husband and wife don't even talk to each other. You think about children who won't even speak to their parents because somebody gave in to sin, and it brought death. You think about just Thanksgiving or Christmas, and you say, man, I I can't be around those people. I can't stand those people. What, What is that? Sin's grabbed a hold of you. Death came in. And the Bible teaches in 1 John that there is a sin that leads unto death. And listen, if you keep on keeping on, you know this, God holds and reserves the absolute right to take you out when he so chooses. So sin leads to death. So I'm going to encourage you this morning. Man, if you've got this sin going down in your life, uh, you need to, to realize you can't blame God for it. You have stepped out into the trap on your own. You, you are there, not because of your wife, Not because of your husband, not because of your kids, not because of your boss, not because of your preacher, not because of your community group leader. You're there because you saw it and something inside of you quenched the Holy Spirit and you said, I got to have it. And then you grabbed it and now you got a baby. You're trapped. Now, y'all want some good news? Can I get a witness here? Y'all just want to go home on that one? We'll just leave. I know that would be horrible, wouldn't it? That's the worst sermon I ever heard. Uh, The third truth is um, God gives you what you need to avoid the traps. God gives you what you need to avoid the traps. Look at 16 through 18 again. He's like, don't be deceived. That is, don't be beguiled. Don't don't begin blaming God for what's going on. And he's like, my beloved brethren, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow, And the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. Now, this is an awesome picture here. James elevates the Lord as the father of lights. Now, whenever you see light and darkness throughout the uh, New Testament, it really is a metaphor for that which is holy, that's light, that which is unholy, that's darkness. And the Bible tells us in 1 John that in the Lord there is no darkness at all. So from heaven's throne, the Father of lights is giving you and I every good and perfect gift. And one of those gifts he's already described is wisdom. He says, hey, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. So that's a gift from heaven. It's a light that shines the path that you are to walk. But whenever you are also faced with sin, guess what? When you are tempted, you can call out to the Father of lights. He's not tempting you. He wants to actually empower you to overcome the sin. Matter of fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, uh, No temptation has overcome you, but such as is common to man. And check this out. And God is faithful. I love that, don't you? He's faithful. Uh, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. So the Bible promises us that there is a good gift 
from the Father of lights in the face of all temptation. And that is the exit strategy. God will show you the way out. God will lead you in that direction so long as you and I don't quench Him, the Spirit of God within, and we actually listen to His leadership. And I love um, Romans. Man, I think I told you I'm reading that in my devotional, but listen to this. Uh, Paul writes, God, are y'all listening say yes? All right, good. God who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will he not also with Jesus freely give us all things? You know what Paul is saying there, and I love this. When you and I are facing temptation, God will be very quick to give us what we need to overcome it. We can be certain in that because God gave us the very best thing in his son Jesus Christ. And if God will give you Jesus, surely he'll give you a way out of that sin. He gave you the best. This is a lesser gift. Now, when you're enticed and I'm enticed, how should we respond? I jotted these four ways down. So let me just kind of give these to you. These aren't in your notes. Uh, these came after the notes were already printed, so you might want to jot these down. But first thing that I'd encourage you to do when you are enticed, and you're going to face it, all of us will, uh, count the cost. Count the cost. You know, if I go over there and, and I grab hold of that bait, what's it going to cost me? Now, everybody, eyeball to eyeball, I want you to see this. One thing that it will cost you and I is fellowship with Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about you losing your salvation. I'm talking about you walking in harmony with Jesus. When you choose to sin, you choose that particular avenue, you are actually turning your back on harmony with Jesus in your life. So you count the cost. Do I want to give up? my contentment in Jesus and try to find it over here with this sin? You're counting the cost there. Or, or you could go a step further. What, what other relationships are going to be put to death if you hold on to that sin? So, so count the cost. What's going to happen? What kind of death is going to be ensued? Is he counting the cost? Then, then here's another one. I like this one. Call out on Jesus. So when you're enticed, it's like, Lord, I need you now. We're just saying about that. Maybe that song will come to your mind this week when that evil starts trying to tell you what to do again. You know, this is uh, true, man. You know, I cruise in my truck sometimes by myself going from place to place. And sometimes when I do, that's when I am tempted. All of a sudden, I have this uh, desire to really be fearful about what God's doing in my life or where God's leading or what God's doing even here in our fellowship. So I get a little bit uh, sideways, a little worried, a little concerned. You know, we call it concerned in the Christian church. It's really worry. Y'all with me? So we, we then what, what do I do then? I, I've got to call out on Jesus. Jesus, I need you now. you got to help me here. Uh, Lord, I cannot overcome this sin. Now, whenever you shout that up to the Lord, you know what the Lord shouts down to you? I know. I know you can't. That's why Jesus uh, lives inside of you. And when you submit to him, he lives the Christian life through you. And here's the deal now. Everybody, please listen. You are always submitting to someone. Either sin is telling you what to do 
or the Holy Spirit of God within you. That's it. Those are your two choices. You submit to sin, and there'll be death. You submit to the Spirit of God, and there'll be life. So we call out to Jesus. And I, I'm a big fan of that, by the way. Pretty fired up that Jesus doesn't uh, rag me out when I call out to him for help. He's there quick to help. Number three, I'll just throw it out like this. Not only count the cost and call out to the Lord, but also crucify the desire. Put the desire to death. The Bible says mortify the flesh. And that's a, a picture, isn't it? Before that thing becomes a baby, put it to death in the context of sin. Don't allow it to be conceived in your life. There's that desire. And listen, you know, the Bible says that when you came to faith in Jesus, you and I are actually supposed to consider ourselves dead to sin, dead to it. As a matter of fact, when we baptize people, that's what we do. And we'll do that next week, Lord willing, but we, we baptize. We buried with Jesus unto his death. That's just to remind you you're dead. Brought up to walk in newness of life. So that's to remind you now you have this new life in Christ. L- live that life. And you know, I've, uh, just, just because I'm a, a pastor, I've preached funerals before. And so, I'll tell you, so far, I've never seen somebody uh, who was dead sit up and reach for something. Are y'all all right? Now, if they do, I'll give you a shout. And Jesus. Can I get a minute? No, no, the reason they don't do that is because they're dead. So whenever it is desire to sin comes, I've got to count the cost, I've got to call out on Jesus, and then I've got to make sure I consider myself dead to that sin. That sin no longer should have power over me. I've got to, I'm a dead man. Dead men don't reach out for stuff. That would have been a good place to say amen, right? Dead men don't reach out for stuff, amen? I know. It's like I'm dead to that now. And then continue to walk in fellowship with the Lord. Man, let, let me say it to you like this real quick, and then I'm going to uh, take it down here. We're gonna, I'll be done. Just, just look at it. Y'all don't close your Bibles, but I'm going to close mine. Y'all all right with that? All right, look, look at me real quick. I just want you to, to hear this. If you can have sin in your life and it not bother you, you do not have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, I don't care how long you've been in church or how many times you've been baptized, you don't know Jesus. You might know the gospel intellectually here, but you don't know the Lord. And let me tell it to you like this. I was eating this past week with a buddy of mine and it was lunchtime, and the waitress came over. She was uh, taking our order, and uh, we got into some small talk. And then I said, hey, you, hey, I'm doing this uh, survey. I'm always doing a survey about what people think it takes to go to heaven when they die. Why don't you tell me, all right? And this I'm asking the waitress this. You tell me. Let's pretend I want to go to heaven. You tell me how to get there. Y'all with me say, yeah? So she says, well, you know, don't cheat. Don't lie. Don't steal. Be a good person. You know, love your family. So, so, so you, you think if I'm good enough, I'll make it to heaven? Well, yeah, yeah. Then she's like, when I've, I, now, I've, I've been in church before. I grew up in trouble trying to find a new church, trying to find a church now. I said, well, what if I told you that's completely wrong? Would that mess you up? Well, what do you mean? 
Well, what I mean is that nobody's good enough to get into heaven. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard. And if we think we can work our way into heaven, we're going to be sorely mistaken when we see Jesus. God sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. The death you deserve, Jesus took in his own body. He was buried and resurrected. Now, y'all listening and say yes? Stick with me because here's when she said, ah, I know that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've done that before. I know what you're talking about. I'm telling you, that's the common theme around here. As soon as I start talking about Jesus, everybody knows the story. Oh, yeah, I know that. So then I, then it, you know, I think the Lord was kind of helping me out. So I said, hey, let me ask you another question. She said, what? I said, do you know Tom Cruise? Yeah. I used to have a crush on Tom Cruise. She said that. I didn't say that, y'all. <laughs> Square that one up. You know what I mean? She said it. I said, well, when's the last time you talked to Tom Cruise? Well, I hadn't talked to him. I told you, you told me you knew him. Well, I mean, I... <laughs> I know of him. Said, I'm afraid that's how you think of Jesus. You know of him, but you don't know him. Because if you genuinely knew him, when I asked you how to get to heaven, you would never tell me, be good. You'd immediately say, you can't do it on your own. You have to have Jesus. Right. So let me ask you, are you up in here today and you're like, I know that story. As soon as I talk, it's amazing too, and I'm telling you this serious as a heart attack. As soon as I start talking about the gospel in church, uh, people just start kind of phasing off, kind of putting their stuff up, like, oh yeah, I know what he's talking about now. I've heard this before. Really? Do you know of him? Do you know him? Because I'm encouraged if you don't know him to turn from your sin this morning and place your faith in Jesus. Listen, he will change you and he will free you from sin. And we and we we sing it around here, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And then we put that little tag on the end of it. It's like my chains are gone. I've been set free. Listen, you can be a follower of Jesus, but allowed yourself to get chained up by sin this morning. But I want you to know Jesus has the key. He can flat out unlock it for you today. You can get out from them chains, and you can walk in freedom. Don't walk out of here all bound up. <laughs> Y'all out there? I'll just thought of a whole nother sermon I'm going to preach. <laughs> Not today. It's soon. But seriously, I, d I do want you to know Jesus if you don't know him. And then if you're here today and you've got some sin in your life and you are a follower of Jesus, uh, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can walk out of here freed up and back in fellowship with Jesus. And if there's not something inside of you saying, that is what I want, then you need to check yourself. Your salvation might not be legit. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Christ, speak to hearts and draw people to yourself.